Spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or the will. It is being formed or really transformed in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. Now out of that definition, three things I want to pull really, really quick um, and then we'll get into a few thoughts from the letter of to Peter. First of all, uh, this idea that this is formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ. Um, I want to say to you that when we start to think about what spiritual formation is, it's important for us to recognize that we don't really have a choice in whether or not we will be formed. Uh, you are a spiritual being, right? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, this is our worldview, this is, this is how we see all of creation, is that it's actually the Spirit of God that animates in the beginning. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, that imagery there being one of chaos and disconnectedness. And then it is the Spirit of God that brings order and creation out of that chaos. And then out of the dust, forming the man and breathing that ruach, that same Spirit, into the man. So humanity then becomes a Spirit-animated entity that represents the image of God in the earth. You, my friend, if you're watching this, are spiritual. And your spirit, your spirituality, is being formed by something. So the question is not, will or won't you be formed? The question is, which tradition will you be formed in? Will you be formed in the tradition of humanism or secularism or materialism, hedonism, capitalism, right? Hinduism. Uh, what, what ism, <laughs> what worldview, what, what, what hands will mold the clay of your spirit? That's the only choice you have, not whether or not you will be formed, but what you will be formed by. The same thinker, Dallas Willard, he tells a story of, um, he was a philosophy lecturer. And so he was lecturing a, a class of doctorate students. And one of the students said to him, Dallas, you're a very intelligent man. Why do you follow Jesus? And Dallas' simple response to him was to say, well, who else do you have in mind? See, the question isn't will or won't you be formed. The question is, what will you be formed by? And that's what spiritual formation seeks to address. The second thing that spiritual formation seeks to do is to help us realize that the place we need to be formed is the place of, of the heart, the human heart. You know, that, that saying that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And we see that in the world at the moment, you know, there, there is so much chaos and so much instability and so much falling apart, it seems, of our society. And, and what we want to do is we want to try and grasp for an external system that will try and solve all of our problems. But what we're seeing is no matter how smart our systems or ideologies seem to be, that a great system in broken hands is still a broken system, right? And so this is why, again, Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, he talks about this idea that really what Jesus came to do is to incite, to incite a riot. Jesus is a revolutionary, but his revolution is not external. His revolution is a revolution of the human heart. Why? Because the transformed human heart, the internal world transformed, is the only thing that can be a channel of streams of righteousness and resist those streams of unrighteousness. Right? So if you want to be a vehicle of justice, what needs to be changed 
is what's broken within. It's like these trees uh, that surround us today. Right? You know, Jesus talks about how the kingdom of God is a tree, but every tree starts as a seed. And so there's the seed. Jesus talks about how this kingdom is a seed planted in the internal world that then grows to become this powerful reality. And then the third thing that I would say we need to think about around spiritual formation is the goal of it or the, the telos of it, right? <laughs> the end point. Where do we think this is all headed? In spiritual formation, the deep conviction is that as human beings, we really are called to become and intended by God to become the kind of people who enact the kind of deeds that, that are aligned with the person of Jesus. This idea that if I go, you will do even greater works than I have done. This idea that we're supposed to be conformed into the image of Christ himself. That's a grand idea. And so, so the, the picture that's pulling us forward is this picture that we can actually be Christ-like individually and collectively. But not in our own strength, and this is what Dallas emphasizes, but in the strength of Christ himself. And so those three things are kind of key anchor thoughts around what spiritual formation actually is. Number one, uh, that you are being formed and your decision is, is what tradition you'll be formed in. Number two, that the formation that really matters first is that internal formation of the heart that then flows to the external formation of the, of the world and the systems in which we live. And then number three, that the telos, the goal of spiritual formation, and indeed the Christian gospel, is that you and I individually and collectively would actually look like Jesus, <laughs> which is incredible. Now, with that said, I don't, I don't know how that lands for you. Typically, when I share this kind of idea with people, it, the, there's three kinds of responses. Uh, you get the person who disqualifies themselves from this. You get the person who is indifferent to it. And then you get the person who's skeptical to it. The person who disqualifies themselves from it, they feel like this kind of spirituality is not something they can attain or achieve because they attach this kind of spirituality to, uh, to monastic living, right? To a monk in a cave somewhere. And then they look at uh, the, the moving parts of their own life. They look at the dishes and, 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 the, and the meal prep and the simple things of paying the bills and going to work. And they simply don't see how the, the substance of that kind of mundane normal living can come together to create the kind of life that looks like Jesus. The second people who are indifferent, well, these people, they see no real need to be formed into the image of Jesus because their conceptions, their understanding of what it actually means to be Christian are passive at the very core. So they really do under, believe or they really do view Jesus as a kind of internal insurance policy that they believe in. And then one day when they die, they get to go to heaven. And so they don't really want the disruption or inconvenience in their daily life of having to live their life according to a, a way of being that calls them into Christ-likeness because from their perspective, they already have all that is necessary. They prayed the prayer, they believed the thing, and now they're going somewhere when they die. And then the skeptic, these, these people are actually typically quite devoted in their faith, but they have an understanding of the gospel that almost paralyzes them a little bit because as soon as they, the little bit they do understand about spiritual formation, Often they view it in terms of works righteousness. 
And so they, they start to think that this is a lot of effort that's going to be applied, that they, that they somehow have to earn the love or approval of God. And for them, that's difficult because it conflicts with the idea of uh, salvation by grace and faith alone. So those three people, those people who disqualify themselves, those people who are indifferent, and those people who are skeptical. And my goal really as we, as we end this is three things. Uh, I want to comfort the disqualified. Uh, I, I want to invite you in. I want to challenge the indifferent. I want to disrupt you. And, and I want to persuade the skeptical to try and, in, try and encourage you to see that actually spiritual formation is a necessary, a necessary stream for the very desires of your heart, which is to walk in friendship with Jesus. And so let's go to 2 Peter in order to do that. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now right here in this introduction is already a message to those who have disqualified themselves from a life spiritually formed in Christ. Um, and, and here's the thought for you. You have not received a second-hand faith. Right? According to Peter here, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with mine or Roger's or Tim's or, or Paul the Apostle himself. Right? Uh, Jesus doesn't have, there's no celebrities, there's no superstars in the kingdom of God. And how can you know this? You can know this because your faith doesn't come from you. So therefore, you don't get to decide how much you do or don't have. You just get to decide how much you do or don't take, right? Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that, that faith is a gift given by God so that no man may boast, right? And so you have been given a faith, as Paul in Peter's words here, of equal standing with anybody else, right? And, and so if anybody can be formed, into the image of Jesus, so too can you. And you might listen to that and go, man, that, that's cool, Matt, and I want to believe that. But I just got to tell you, I'm, I'm busy and I'm struggling. And, and to be honest, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get through a, a day, never mind be formed into the image of Jesus. And I would say, how wonderful, right? How wonderful that you've come to that realization that you don't have what it takes. And in the words of Dallas, again, you have come to the end of your rope which is God's address, <laughs> right? Or in the words of Eugene Peterson, uh, quoting from Matthew chapter 5 here, he says, Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope, because with, with less of you, there's more of God and His rule and reign. And so I would just say to you again with this introductory passage, there is a place in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ where as you press into Him and as you know Him, even at the end of yourself, it says here in verse 2, there's a place where grace, that is both pardon for what you aren't and strength for who God wants to call you to be, and peace that, that transcends all understanding can be multiplied to you. I don't know how it works, but I have experienced in my life that as I come to the end of myself, and I don't disqualify myself, but I believe, God, that if, if this promise is true for anyone, it's also true for me. And I don't know how I'm going to get there, God, but I'm going to lean into you in this moment. Somehow grace and peace is multiplied in that place. And He is able to make up the distance between where I am now and where He's calling me to be.
And then to the indifferent, quickly, uh, Peter goes on writing and he says, in verse 3, he says, His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through those promises you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. If you're indifferent to the idea of being spiritually formed into the image of Jesus, my, my simple question to you would be, why are you here? And not just here watching this video, but here in this world. What does it mean for you to be Christian? What do you think Jesus came to do? What do you think his message was? Is your Christianity and the Jesus that you follow simply about this eternal insurance policy idea where you're using Jesus as a kind of fallback mechanism so that one day when you die, you'll go to the good place and not the bad place. If that is you, and if you're kind of set in your ways, if, if Jesus fits nicely into the dynamics of your own personal calendar, if, if he doesn't get a say and he has no ability to disrupt your world, if if God is kind of co-opted into your agenda and you pull him out for special occasions and difficult times and then you kind of sprinkle his presence on your particular needs with respect, can I ask you to critique that God? Because it's very likely that in, if that's the case, you're not really worshiping or following Jesus, but rather a projection of your own brokenness. And, and if that's the case, that's incredibly tragic. Not because that makes you a terrible person, but because it makes you an unfortunate one. Because you came so close, but missed it. If that's you, when we, when we are like this, we, we kind of fulfill the words of C.S. Lewis, where he talks about how as human beings, the problem is not that our desires are too strong, but that they're too weak. That we're too easily pleased, that we're like ignorant children who are satisfied with playing with mud pies in the garden because we don't know what's available in the idea of a holiday at the sea. We're too easily pleased. And so I just would want to encourage you in your indifference, man, don't settle for so little. Jesus, his expectation, the end point where this is all going is not that you would just be a nice person with some kind of religious affiliation on your social media profile but rather that, you, according to Jesus, that you and I would be partakers of the divine nature of God himself. See, Jesus came and he came to save, but what does that mean? He, I believe it means he came to rehuman the world. You know, when we go back to that Genesis account and, and, and the creator says, let us make man in our image. And then he breathes his life into us and we become that imago Dei, those walking image bearers of the creator himself. That's God's desire for you. And that desire is so lofty, so grand, so beautiful that it pushes far beyond anything you could possibly comprehend. And if in the midst of a crumbling world at the moment, a world gone seemingly crazy, the things that you've built your life on seem thin or insignificant or superficial. Praise God for that revelation. 
Because I would, I would say to you that what's happening is that the Spirit of God is destabling misplaced desires and allegiances so that you would be disrupted enough to seek Him for what He really came to give you. If you are indifferent to the idea of spiritual formation in Jesus, I would just say, don't settle for so little. And then finally, to the skeptic, Peter goes on uh, and he says, you know, we've, we've been saved out of the corruption of this world uh, we've been called to be these partakers of the divine nature. So he gives us this beautiful telos, this wonderful picture of what Jesus is calling us to be. And if you're, if you're maybe the skeptic who takes your relationship with Jesus seriously, you would say, praise God, I want that. How do I enter into that? How do I, get, how do I become a partaker of the divine nature, right? And Peter goes on, he says, For this reason, because that's what's available, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with the love that gets put over all those things. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, Here's what I know about you. You have desired to be effective and fruitful for Jesus. You know that, yes, we are saved by grace, but then what? How do we enter into the fullness of what we've been saved for, right? You have come to the revelation that salvation is not a finish line, but a starting block. It's a door into a house with an endless number of rooms. Each one of those, a perspective of God's nature that we get to fully explore and then live into in our own world. That's, that's what it is, right? And so the question is not, how do we get saved? Well, that's gift. We understand that. And I hope by now you've heard it. The question is, having been saved, what will we do now? How do we take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us? How do we put on Christ and take off that old self? Now, however way you cut that, what, what, what you will need to understand if you're serious about that journey is that you're going to have to apply effort at some point. That's why Peter says, make every effort. And that, my friend, is spiritual formation. Right? And effort, listen carefully, effort is not the same as earning. Right? The gospel is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Because the gospel understands that every culture has a current. And you're not going to swim upstream by simply lying passively on the surface any more than you're going to fly by simply sitting on the ground. Movement in the opposite direction requires the application of effort but we apply effort in the direction of abiding John 15 because as we abide in him he produces that fruitfulness in us and so when we talk about spiritual formation don't misunderstand we're not talking about works righteousness or trying to make ourselves like Jesus I've discovered from personal experience that I'm not equipped to tinker with my own soul and every time I try and uh, work with or mess with the internal dynamics of the, my own eternal self. I, I mess things up. So we're not, we're not advocating that. We recognize that God alone knows how to lead us to the place that He has for us. But what we're doing is we're saying we want to, we want to so order our lives, right? The mechanisms and systems of our lives so as to cooperate with the present grace that is for us in Christ Jesus. 
That's the invitation of spiritual formation. And so if you're the skeptic, I, I, I pray that I can persuade you to explore it more. And so those are the three thoughts, and that's where we end. Uh, to those disqualified, be encouraged. You haven't received a secondhand faith. To those who are indifferent, look again. Don't settle for so little. And to those who are skeptical, how do you hope to become like the Christ you worship? Spiritual formation. That's the way. And so that's where we land, friends. Thank you for your time. And this has simply been an introduction, a doorway into a journey that I hope you will take seriously and keep walking, not only as individuals, but as a church. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that your intention for us is that we would look like you individually and collectively. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words, bury them in our hearts, and cause them to do us much good until we look like you, until your kingdom comes here on earth in us and through us, and looks here on earth in us and through us just as it does in heaven, until you, Jesus, receive the reward of your suffering. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.